Founderspace Startup Supercharge. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. I am here today with Connie Steele, future of work and life expert, executive consultant, and author. Connie, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be on the show today, Steve. Thank you. So I have a lot I want to talk to you about. The first thing I'd like to dive into is what is a future of work and life expert? Tell us. <laughs> well, for me, it's really understanding the integration of the two, because we all now know that work and life are not separated. We used to live in a world where it was siloed, linear, sequential, rigid, and conformist. But now we're living in one that is much more fluid, multimodal, multidimensional, one in which it's about individual agency. And so when we really think about where our lives are going to go, where work is going to go, we need to look at those two in combination. So that's really what it's about, is understanding what do we want as human beings in our life and how does that connect to what we want to do? So work has changed a lot. Like all of us are working differently, whether we're entrepreneurs and we, we have our teams. A lot of times the teams are dispersed. We're doing a lot remotely, whether working in a big corporation, lots of people, you know, have been working remotely. Now the corporations want them back in the office because they're paying for all that office space and it's empty. So what do you think about this? Well, you know, what's been interesting is that for several years, as you may know, because you've been in technology, we've had digital nomadism. We've had people working in different capacities, but because of the pandemic, it was this big forced experiment where now it's become the norm, this hybridization of work. So whether you're working part of the time at home, full-time at home, or working in an office, you know, that has now become the norm, but people have asked for that for years because we've been seeking flexibility and greater control over the best environment for us to perform well. And so to force fit a old model is not going to work. And inevitably it was going to shift to that anyway. It just so happened that the pandemic really just was this catalyst to create a fundamentally different structure. And I think enlighten a lot of people that there is a potentially better way that fits you best to do yeah, your so, work. And everybody's different. All of us think differently. Some of us are much more people. People, we love to be surrounded by people. We love to collaborate with them. We want to talk to them. We want to see their face. We want them, you know, next to us. Other people want to cocoon. Uh, how does, so are you saying that uh, if you're an entrepreneur or an executive, you should adapt to each of your employees or should you have any sort of policy in place? Well, I think what's important first is to understand your workforce because within your company, you may have a certain culture in which you know this culture works best that enables the productivity that you're looking for. So it always starts with understand your target audience, just like we do as entrepreneurs, just like we do as businesses. Who are they? What do they need? What are their attitudes? What are their motivations? What are their challenges? And then based on that understanding, because it will be unique and different to each organization, then you'll have a better sense of how to develop those programs, develop those modes of communication, develop that workflow that optimizes 
every individual's potential. So what if the majority of the team wants to be together and they want the whole team together and one individual doesn't want to, like it's not how they like to work. What do you do in that situation? Well, I think a lot of this is then trying to understand what is the challenge that one particular individual has with coming in with everyone. And is there, as I like to think about it, what's an experiment? What's a pilot, right? Because if we think about the way that we work now, we're all, we all have to work like agile businesses. And the way that we develop the right products and services and programs for our people has to be trying out an MVP of something because we don't know what will stick best. So versus saying it's my way or the highway, and particularly if this one person is such a valuable individual as part of your team, and maybe you see them uh, potentially leading a bigger part of your organization, then start thinking about how could a hybrid situation for them work? Because I think to force people to conform and work in a very rigid structure it's going to put people off. Just like, you know, when you're kids, when, when you're a child and so you have to do it this way and you say, no, 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 I want to do it my way. We're all human beings. You want to have choice in some way. And what you're seeing now is that there has to be this mutual value exchange between leadership and employees because they recognize there's a different way to work, that there's optionality in what they can do that fulfills all of who they are. So it's a lot more work on the manager, no question. It's a lot more work on leadership because there was one structure, more hierarchical structure, and you do as I say. It's not like that anymore. So there's another aspect to this. Uh, a lot of workers, at first, they didn't like the idea of not going into the office. And I'm going to take my brother, for example. He, you know, he liked going into the office and he did he resisted the change to work at home but then the longer he worked at home the more he got used to it and now that they allow people to come back into the office he doesn't want to go but at the same time uh i've noticed that he is he has less contact with people he's more isolated he's not he's he's you know he's more not as lively he's more depressed because he's so isolated from other human beings just working at home and going about his life and he's single so sometimes what people want isn't always what's best for them what do you do in this type of situation well, I think in that type of situation, as a leader, you have to have a really good sixth sense of your employees versus it being, I'm just looking at you and performing against the very specific metrics that we have and so you're a great employer or not. Really, it's about going back to understanding them as human beings. What do they do outside of work as well as what do they do with you? Where have you seen a track record of engagement, of excitement, of productivity, of creativity? And when you can understand what works for them and you can see the change. So for his manager, if they notice that difference, because you should, if you're plugged into your people and you truly care about people, you'll know that. You'll know that, wow, you know what, you're, you're doing great, but I sense this difference in your ability to communicate and share and be creative in the way that you used to be. Then it's working with them to potentially come up with a solution, say, you know what, I think it could be really valuable to come into the office and let's try a hybrid situation. And I know this may sound like, oh my God, what a burden. I'm a manager. I have so much going on. But if you don't facilitate that discussion and co-create 
with your employees. You have to look at your organization now as you are building a culture and a way of being together because we all don't know, right? We don't know what's best. And each and every person wants to express their individual talents and they may not even know. So you as a manager have the best insight hopefully, if you're plugging into them, to knowing how to extract that. And if you don't, here's a great way for you to learn. You do this for your customers, right? You build great products because you intuitively understand them. You build personas. You you test things. You get feedback. Why wouldn't you do that with your employee base? You've done a lot of research. Uh, and it's on your site. You have a whole research report. Can you tell us a little about things that you found out during your research that surprised you? Well, the first one I will say is that we learned that 52% of U.S. workers, and we looked at workers, not employees. Reason being is that we wanted to get the perspective of people. So whether you're a full-time employee, you're a gig worker, you're a business owner, it doesn't matter. Your talent. What do you want? What do you need to be successful? And 52% of these U.S. workers agree that their professional ambition isn't tied to being part of a company. Whereas I think all of us 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you're very much defined by who you worked for. And everybody was gunning for that. Just like you go to a certain prestigious university, you know, your pedigree was associated with a specific entity. That's changed. Yeah, that's a big change. What are some other changes you noticed? Well, I think the other piece is that we are now also seeing that there is this desire and importance in successfully managing multiple careers simultaneously. So We've seen it in the news where you have millennials and Gen Zs creating portfolio careers, multiple paths, right? Parallel pathing things, everything. And that is now becoming more of a default. So I saw this in doing my own podcast and doing one-on-ones, but the fact to see it in the data that over 20% in particular of those in their 20s are saying, that is important. And it's also a goal for them. So we think about career goals, managing multiple careers is now defined as a specific goal. And so what does that mean for employers? Well, that your one job, the job that they have with you, they're not going to give hundred percent of their attention to the one job that they have with you. They will have side hustles. They will have various hobbies and interests of which they are cultivating that could establish a pivot in which they pursue that full-time, but they're looking to express all of their interests, express their creativity. I'm sure you can relate because you are a creator at heart. And so you were probably tinkering outside of work as well. They want to too, because they realize, well, just this one thing doesn't reflect all of who I can be and what interests me. And maybe I only wanna go so far in building this expertise doesn't mean I want to leave it. It's just, I've mastered it sort of to a certain point. Let's put that aside. Let's go to another one. And then I'm stacking along the way. Just think of like creating Legos, right? So you're stacking these bricks one after another. Might not know what you want to create in the beginning, but you're building a talent stack of skills and experience, roles and interests. And then over time, you get greater fidelity and you realize, wait, this is what I want to create 
for myself because it leverages all of me in a very unique way. That's great. Now, I want to dive a little deeper into your book, Building the Business of You. Can you tell us about your book and, and some of the key theses that you have? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. So building the business of you is really about really explaining the future of work from a human-centered perspective. What do we want? What do we need? What are our attitudes? What are our motivations? Subsequently, what has been the implication of that to what we're looking for in our careers, which is what I call a career mashup. It is that combination that I talk about, that hybridization, so to speak. But most importantly, what is the pathway, the how to establish this career mashup? And that was predicated on all these interviews, probably close to 200 interviews based on the podcast and also just talking to different people on how they went about doing it. Because I think in the world that we've always lived in, so many of us know the what, or we understand probably the challenge that's there, but so many of us struggle with the why and then what to do next. The how is not always clear and it gives us a lot of fear. So, so how do we do it? Tell me, give a few examples of how people well, have done it. Really what it comes down to uh, in this new world of work, we need to look at ourselves as the CEO of ourselves. We are now product and services on the web, whether we like it or not. So you being a technologist, uh, all of your listeners, everybody knows the Agile Manifesto, right? So if you think about those tenets of the Agile Manifesto, how that has permeated how we develop software products, moving from waterfall to an Agile development approach, such that we are always testing, learning, iterating. That has permeated business. So we now have agile businesses, but we have two generations that have grown up in that particular way because technology fundamentally has facilitated that where, you know, their work and life is on their phone. It's completely integrated. They're adding, taking off apps that fit what they're interested in. And it changes, of course, because their life stage is fundamentally changing. So in light of that, if we are now product and services on the web, what that means, we're always in a constant beta state to be our best selves. And we're trying to figure out what that right combination is. We now need to test and learn. We need to create that MVP. But how do we do this? It's strategic planning. So what I had seen in these individuals that had figured it out, it was really some fundamental business aspects that companies do. What is your goal? What are you trying to achieve based on clarity of that goal? What are the objectives, strategies, and tactics? But we don't do it on ourselves, even though so many people do it as a living, right? You're planning, you're building a company. But have you done that strategic planning on yourself? Have you done the necessary goal setting in your life? What do you want out of life? Not what do you want as a next job? What do you really want in your life? How does work fit into it? Once you know that, then you think about what are the, what is the objective? How would I look at that as a metric? What are those strategies and pathways I can take? And then those tactics. But as you execute on those tactics, that's data, that's feedback. It will help you identify, am I on the right path or do I need to pivot? And so once you have clarity on that strategic plan, and there's five parts to this fluid career system. You are constantly iterating. So the first part, spine the trends, just like you do as a company, right? 
do the landscape analysis, look at the macro trends, look at the market, look at the competition, right? Look at yourself, understand what fits you. Based on that analysis, research and analysis, that should give you insight into the white space opportunities for you. That's when you create the plan, which is creating your compass. But third, why do so many people get excited and stop? Fear. Fear and anxiety because of failure is typically what gets people stuck. So you actually need to do the change management on yourself. As you have change management consultants that come in and you have a company that's going through a, a complete shift in corporate strategy, you're doing a shift in the way you've been operating, right? And it's really uncomfortable. We don't like change. So you have to understand what's driving this fear in the first place. Is it rational or irrational? And then once you get to that, what is the smallest thing that you can do to help you build the confidence to move further? And the fourth, of course, you need network. You need a great network. But as we know, it's building an authentic network, a village to support you. But how do you network? It's not about, hey, I have this. Can you help me? It's a two-way relationship such that when you're clear on what your, your strategy is, you can articulate it to the people who can help you best. And the last is skill development. But I focus on soft skills, which I know you mentioned in your book. Soft skills are so important. And I also indicate the same thing because it's not about hard skills anymore. With AI and automation and you know, things where... That's not as important, but the human component is necessary to navigate because it's still people who make the world go round. Fortunately, as a result of technology, people are feeling more disconnected. They don't have that ability to be with others. So it's learning emotional intelligence in particular. Like you and I can read each other. We can see, okay, this is exciting or your body language, but we have to learn that. All those work as a system. So even though it is highlighted, in a sequential fashion for you to understand, if you think about this as your compass in the middle, and then you have your trend spotting, your network, and your skills around, and they are really working together. They're feeding each other. They're also feeding that goal to make sure that you're really on point. But around that, you're always preparing for change. You're always shifting. So no matter what direction you're going in, you have to be comfortable with that. It's a mindset as well as an operating framework. Connie, what I would like to hear are some stories, some stories about people who've taken uh, the strategies that you've laid forth and actually sure. used it to change their life, change their career. Okay. So there's one person in particular. Um, I love his story because he is a chef. He started off as a chef, um, had worked for actually the top chefs in New York, started a uh, award-winning restaurant in the Washington DC area. But after um, starting one and then kind of creating a new one, the, the recession in 2007, fortunately impacted his business. He had to shut down. And what he realized, wow, you know what? I didn't have the business skills. I love cooking, but I just didn't have the business skills. So what he did, he's like, I can't pay to go to business school. I have no money, but he knew he needed that skill. And he had this clientele that worked in business. He got a job at Booz Allen. He became a strategic marketing consultant at Booz Allen in Hamilton. And because of his people skills, the leadership team gave him the most difficult clients to actually deal with. And he was able to build that relationship from there. And then he also then managed a global team 
but his passion for the restaurant business didn't waver. So three years before he fully pivoted, he actually was parallel pathing, building a new restaurant, as well as working remotely at Booz Allen and Hamilton, managing a global team in marketing, <laughs> which then once he had enough traction on the restaurant, he pivoted out of it. He took all of those skills that he learned in building a strong business and marketing it and applying it when the pandemic hit. Again, because his restaurant isn't a fast food restaurant. It is fine dining. So he thought of incredibly unique ways and pivoted instantly to turn everything online. When they started opening up to be able to eat dining outside, he created experiences. So he set up in his uh, parking lot area pods where he would have cars come in and you have an experience there and you have your car parked and would have space in between all these cars and put a table out there. They said, have your kids come, have them bring their own food. <laughs> That's so a great a beautiful, idea. fine dining experience there. Yeah. And so he has applied that. Um, another woman, and so I'll use the, uh, another example, someone who's this amazing young woman at eight years old, she wanted to find a cure for lymphedema, which is a common um, um, symptom um, or side effect of cancer. So it's swelling of the joints. And her mother had cancer and had lymphedema. It just really impacted her life. So at eight years old, she's like, I'm going to be the first one to find it. So she just was trying to figure it out, learn so much about the body. Her mom was a nurse. And what was interesting is that she one day looked at a magazine on the table that was a gardening magazine. She read about this flower called the lupin flower and it had anti-inflammatory properties. She thought, wow, I wonder if this could be a path to creating a cure. She then realized, okay, I'm going to put my kind of muscle behind this and enter science fair competitions and go that route. And how old and so was she, she at this time? 13. 13. Okay. Um, she had no network. She just knew she had a goal. So here she is trying to get funding, eventually was able to work in a lab because nobody was doing this. She's in Canada and eventually found an opportunity to work in a lab. And she was doing research and going to high school <laughs> at the same time. I said, how are you able to do that? Because that's a lot of work. She goes, you know, it invigorated me because I was learning different things that kind of exercise different parts of my brain. But along the way, she was taking risks. She was building a network. She was sharing what her vision was. And she is definitely on her way. At 17, she became the world's youngest lymphedema researcher, as well as I believe the youngest board member of the American Lymphedema Society. Um, she's now only 24, I believe. But as she continued to research, she said that the, the element that was missing in lymphedema research is that it was all science. You have bench scientists just diving deep into the science, but what she loves is people. And what she saw in her mom, because she didn't have a community to help her, was this ability to connect with others to help build that necessary human connection, which helped her mother heal. So during her research, she expanded it to not just bench science, but looking at the psychosocial elements of how it can help a patient. So here is somebody who is looking in a very, very different way and parallel pathing it in so many different avenues. And now she also is in med school. 
as well. <laughs> so, and the, I want to know, did the flower work? Yeah, she said that is that has that has continued. Yes. Okay. Yes. So they're they're still. I know it takes a long time to figure these things out. Now, Connie, these are wonderful stories. You've it's been a pleasure having you here and understanding how you view the future of work and life. Can you tell the audience how they can get a hold of you and and tell them about your podcast, your wonderful podcast? Oh, thank you so much. So you can learn more about me going to my website, Connie W. Steele, that's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. Um, on there, you also find my podcast, which is really all about telling the compelling stories of people and how people like Steve, Captain Hawk, but these amazing creators, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and how they have broken through some of the inertia that they've faced um, and the approach that they have taken to create the right fit and momentum for their lives. And that has been really the inspiration for me to help me realize how the world of work is changing, which then has led to the book. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.